0: Good afternoon, everyone. I am pleased to welcome committee members and guests of the Committee on Student Affairs and Special Program. There are copies of the agenda and supporting documents on the table. There is one action item and three information items on the agenda. May I have a motion to approve the minutes of the meeting of February 26, 2018. So moved. Is there a second? Second. Sure. All in favor?
1: Aye. Uh, aye.
0: You're opposed? Fernando, you're opposed? No, I said... Oh, I said aye. Okay. The, min- the minutes is approved. There will be a change to the, uh, to the uh, agenda for a little bit. Um, we'll do item B. Changes to the policy on um, sexual misconduct. May I ask our Council to give us uh, an update?
2: Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Good afternoon. Um, I have a couple members of my staff here, and in the last page of your packet or on online, is an information item that you were sent previously uh, to give really this committee a heads up on changes that we contemplate to the sexual misconduct policy coming out of both changes federally in Title IX, but more locally, and you've heard a lot about this, the Enough is Enough law and the audits that uh, took place last fall, including audits of CUNY's campuses. So. Um, A number of members of my staff have been working on this prior to the audits, really in the implementation phase when the Enough Enough, is Enough law was first enacted in New York, and uh, that includes Jane Sovereign, Dan Simonette, and Bridget Barbera, who is going to be the individual who will spend a little bit of time here today um, talking you through the changes that we anticipate, um, the process for receiving input that has begun, and there to answer any questions that you may have at this time. So, thank you, Bridget.
3: No problem. Hi, everyone. So, we got a draft out, I'm happy to say, of the revised policy on sexual misconduct on Friday to um, the various stakeholders. We sent it out to um, uh, student leaders uh, by email as well as college presidents, provosts, student affairs, Uh, Title IX coordinators, legal designees on the campuses, and other individuals who may be impacted by the changes. Um, The changes were born from Enough is Enough, and they're really, I think, beneficial to everyone who's using and working with this policy. Some of the big changes that are highlighted in the informational letter is, um, first start with the formatting. We've moved the definitions to the front. And the definitions now closely mimic um, and copy the Clery laws. So it's consistency across all fronts, which we're really excited about. Um, we've also now included explicit levels of rights that students, both complainants and respondents, will have under this policy, not just rights when it comes to investigations, but when it comes to adjudication or if a complaint is made. we have. Created an appeals process that, wasn't, that did not exist before in this policy. And, and there's two levels now of appeals that are going to be new. One, if a student feels that there's an individual conflicted out of the process, they now have an ability to go to the Chief uh, Student Affairs Officer to voice their concerns and have an appeal heard, which is new and we're really excited about. We also have an appeals process for interim measures if a student is asked to change a, um, is a class or a, a section, or if there's a no-contact order that has parameters where they can't visit the campus, they now have the ability to appeal that, um, which is, again, a new uh, part of the policy that we're excited about. While they were required by the statute, by the Enough is Enough statute, I think it's beneficial, so those are two new portions. We also have a new written determination of when an individual is considered a continuing threat to the campus, and there will be a suspension, that those factors are now explicit in the policy on sexual misconduct. And one of the biggest changes, which really is just more for ease of use, is the portion of Article 15 that deals with student disciplinary process has been lifted and copied and placed within the policy on sexual misconduct. So now it's a one-stop shop. You don't have to go to a different, um, uh, a, a different policy and procedure Thank you, Jane. and then go back to the uh, policy and sexual misconduct. The student and really anyone utilizing this policy will have it right there in front of them. So um, those are all mandatory changes that the Enough is Enough statute requires. The two changes that were not mandatory was first, we changed the timeframes for these investigations from 60 days to uh, cumulative 90 days. One, we want to make sure that when an individual uh, gives information to a Title IX coordinator to investigate, there's enough time to do a proper and full investigation. That's why we lengthen the amount of time. And also, that will now put us consistent with new city legislation and state legislation regarding sexual harassment, which is 90 days. So now our policy conforms with the state and city law. So again, it's a legal compliance matter. And then um, finally, we've created an informal resolution process. Previously, uh, Title IX guidance had prohibited informal resolution, but the Office for Civil Rights recently came out and walked back that guidance and realized that informal resolution may be a really powerful and beneficial vehicle to bring closure for complainants and respondents when there's a complaint of sexual misconduct. So in line with uh, the laws, uh, enough is enough, and, and federal statutes, we now have an informal resolution process. And those changes are all found in the new policy on sexual misconduct that was distributed, the draft of it that was distributed on Friday. Along with the distribution that we sent out, we also provided an email address inviting, um, you know, comments, ideas for revision. Um, we invited all groups that we sent it to to uh, get back to us and we're excited to hear the input and we can make revisions and hopefully then we can move the process forward so that we will be able to have um, the policy drafted before the board uh,
2: uh, committee hearing in June. Thank you, Bridget. I'll turn it back to you, Madam Chair, for...
0: Are there any questions
3: or comments from
2: members? Yes.
4: Um, Could
3: you describe the informal
2: uh, resolution process a little
3: bit? Sure. So the informal resolution process is... um, it is a, a process where instead of going through student conduct hearing and going through the adjudication process, a Title IX coordinator, in cases where they deem it's appropriate, so obviously in cases maybe of sexual violence where there is you know, trauma and more severe cases, we wouldn't find it appropriate. The Title IX coordinator can permit the respondent and complainant to do an informal resolution. And both parties have to agree, both parties have to sign off on the outcome, including the Title IX coordinator. So instead of going through the adjudication, student disciplinary charges, it allows us to move forward earlier. Before that was prohibited, prohibited by Title IX, Uh, Guidance, not by the law but by the guidance from OCR. And OCR has walked back that guidance and now in the norms of all universities, most universities across the country, have now brought back informal resolution um, in certain circumstances. And that's what we've carved out in the policy now.
2: So this would be like an arbitration uh, process um, overseen by the Title IX officer? More of a
3: settlement because, again, arbitration is... it, it, it brings to mind an idea of like, you know, litigation or confrontation. This is more just settlement without that dispute, without the adjudication process. Dispute before it would go to student conduct for hearings. And it's only for students. Um, Again, the collective bargaining agreements for the prospective employees, be it white-collar, blue-collar, PSC, those still control, but this is aimed for students and making it easier for them. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Thank you. Is there any other question?
0: may I just... Thanks very much. Um, Vice Chancellor, may I have your report?
4: Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Good evening, everyone. Uh, it's my privilege to present uh, the Vice Chancellor's report for activities for the period of March and April 2018. Um, we were very pleased and very heartened to learn and report that the final New York State budget included critical restorations for key student affairs programs, including the SEEK program, a $4.7 million program restoration, College Discovery, $225,000 program restoration, and University Child Care, $900,000 restoration. As all of you know, these are critical programs to the wellness and success and opportunity for CUNY students and uh, their preservation is critical for uh, our efforts to ensure that students retain their academic momentum and are able to succeed. I particularly like to thank the trustees for their leadership in educating elected officials about the critical importance of this program, as well as our student leaders who are such uh, remarkable advocates uh, and educating uh, key elected officials about the importance of these programs in partnership with our faculty. So we thank you for that. We are pleased to announce uh, the the development of a Healthy CUNY demonstration project. Um, It it involves a collaboration between the CUNY offices of Academic Affairs, Student Affairs, uh, and the Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy, uh, which convened a task force to fund and implement a five-year demonstration project uh, called the Healthy CUNY Demonstration Project. The project seeks to provide evidence that can guide CUNY and other (coughs) universities to develop new strategies to assist their students to overcome health and social problems that undermine academic success. So we're really looking forward to that. We're collaborating with uh, CUNY distinguished professor, Nick Freudenberg, who's providing great guidance and leadership on that project. Um, We're also very pleased to announce uh, the launch of the CUNY LGBTQI Uh, Student Leadership Program Advisory Council. Uh, The goal of the CUNY LGBTQI Student Leadership Program is to support the development of the next generation of LGBTQI leaders in our city and state. Uh, Selected undergraduate students from all CUNY campuses participate in a year-long program that includes training, mentoring, and experiential learning activities all geared towards Uh, identity development through leadership development. So we're very heartened by that particular effort. Um, And the Advisory Council for the LGBTQI Leadership Program uh, will provide guidance and support to this program, as well as further CUNY's efforts to scale up its capacity to ensure opportunities and support for LGBTQI students throughout the university system. we're very heartened uh, to announce uh, the uh, 63rd annual S- Salt Scholarship at CUNY. Uh, CUNY has announced its prestigious uh, Salt Scholarships for Medical Study to nine students in recognition of their outstanding scholarship and research on subjects including neuroscience, cancer research, genetics and molecular biology. The 2018 Salt Scholars hail from Hunter College, City College, Brooklyn College, John Jay College, the first ever uh, Salk Scholar for John Jay, so that was very exciting, as well as the Macaulay Honors Colleges, Hunter College, City College, and Brooklyn College. Scholars have been accepted uh, at Princeton University Medical School, Harvard Medical School, NYU School of Medicine, Stony Brook University School of Medicine, SUNY Downstate, and um, the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. The Salk Scholarships will be awarded at May 16th at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. So we look forward to announcing our new stellar class of Salk Scholars. Um, it's been a very uh, robust conference season uh, where we've tried to provide training and development for students and the professionals who serve them. On uh, April 6, 2018, CUNY held its ninth Annual Accessibility Conference at John Jay with the theme, uh, Transition Supporting Students with Disabilities um, from High School Through Higher Education. This brought more than 300 attendees from across the university, all committed to best practices, sharing best practices in access and opportunity for CUNY students with disabilities. Um, in addition, in April, 20, uh, thir- April 13, 2018, Uh, we hosted our second annual CUNY Student Orientation Conference where colleagues who are engaged in new student orientation shared best practices in uh, engaging new students and setting them on a path for uh, academic success and um, sustained retention. And um, among the themes that were discussed uh, were the use of technology, to more richly and robustly engage students and to engage more students, and the recognition that, uh, particularly for our senior colleges, uh, more than two-thirds of our new students are actually transfer students. So to engage a new student orientation with a one-size-fits-all approach is not the most productive way to onboard new students to a college. So we're very heartened to have a very robust dialogue around new student orientation. On March 8th, CUNY hosted its first uh, neurodiversity conference, which shared uh, effective practices to promote student achievement and inclusion from college to career. The first day of this was devoted to engaging students with intellectual disabilities and finding ways to allow them to benefit from the richness of CUNY and all of its education and career readiness resources. And the second day focused primarily on serving students on the autism spectrum, which are by far the fastest growing population of students with disabilities at CUNY. Um, It was a remarkable conference and we look forward to future ones. Um, I'd just like to call your attention to upcoming conferences. The upcoming conference on experiential learning at April 25th at Gutman Community College. The focus of this will be the power of mentoring, fostering inclusion, leadership, and growth through experiential learning. And this year's symposium will be organized around three different tracks, learning and development, equity and inclusion, and impactful practices. Presentations will focus on intermediate outcomes of mentoring, interventions providing both formative and summative program assessment. So we're really looking forward and we thank President Ebenbeck for hosting this conference yet again. Um, Finally, uh, last week we were pleased to bring 180 members of CUNY's career development staff together at Baruch College uh, in partnership um, with Dean Angie Kamath and her remarkable workforce development team to convene a career services conference where our career services uh, professionals Shared best practices in career readiness for students, examined workforce trends, and talked about how uh, those two emphases could intersect to create the greatest opportunity, postgraduate opportunities for CUNY students. And Madam Chair, that concludes my report.
0: Um, thank you, Vice um, Chancellor. Are there any questions or comments? None. Um, let me just encourage um, our team. To give support to the students, especially for the SARC program, that we go and make sure that they recognize that they're being supported by us as um, professionals for um, student affairs. So I want to thank you all. Um, our next item is um, revisions to Article 15 and 16 of the Bylaws Fiscal Accountability Handbook. Um, may I just ask our Council to lead us through that.
2: Thank you again, Madam Chair. Um, we have a little bit more than an hour, if the committee so chooses, to spend discussing this item as uh, we had an item of the Student Disciplinary Appeal that has been cancelled, at least for this meeting. And so we do have, I hope, sufficient time if the committee has an interest in discussing Um, this item for that length of time. Um, So we're going to take it in three parts, um, but we are also planning on leaving the bulk of the time for committee discussion and questions. Uh, So first, uh, Vice Chancellor Rosa is going to talk a bit about the history of this initiative, the process that's been undertaken, and really some major revisions, compromises if you'll call it that, Um, that have occurred since the initial draft language that you received based on the input of multiple constituents at CUNY. I'm going to spend a bit of time, and I have a slide presentation for you. It might make it easier that the pieces of language will be up there. But um, what we're talking about is also in front of you on your iPad, and it starts at page 4 of the iPad with the information item, and after that you'll find the explanation that Chris and I developed as well as the actual red lines. Um, And after we're done with that, I thought it was important that you know exactly what is being proposed because this is a first reading for the committee and the board at its May 7th board meeting. Uh, President Keyes and Student Trustee Adaramnu will give a brief view from the Student Activity Fee Task Force vantage point. So we're hoping um, we have a little over an hour, that we won't spend more than half an hour with presentation, although you should feel free to stop any of us at any time with questions or comments, and that there will be plenty of time for discussion and suggestions. So that's our plan.
4: Thank you, Vice Chancellor. Um, The committee, uh, this committee is very familiar uh, with the arc of the history uh, of this effort, but just to uh, provide a context for this discussion, as this committee knows, it it took up this item in its October committee meeting, um, at which time uh, the recommendation was to constitute a task force and a companion working group the task force um, to uh, raise, to review uh, the existing uh, bylaw and fiscal accountability handbook language and to make recommendations uh, about man- ways in which it could bring it into compliance with com- prevailing law and with best practices. And um, that, that recommendation was validated by the Board uh, through a resolution in its October meeting, creating the task force, uh, empowering the working group to go forward. Um, that The task force has been very, very engaged in the work of this effort, um, and uh, as has our working group. Our working group has met some... Uh, more than a dozen times in the effort to take the feedback from the task force and help provide it the information it needs to do its work um, from meeting to meeting. Um, as you know, um, in February we uh, we shared an initial draft of the uh, of the proposed changes. Um, it got robust feedback, um, and uh, and over the course of the subsequent weeks, after a ver- very rich engagement with the task force and the working group, um, the draft that you see before you has some significant changes from the one that was presented to you in February. And I just wanted to highlight um, two of the changes in particular, which uh, I think reflect the feedback that we received from from the task force. And um, as you know, the, the previous draft called for all allocations of the student activity fees to be made Uh, directly by student government associations to registered student organizations according to viewpoint-neutral criteria. Um, We've heard uh, about, uh, from the task force, particularly the student members, uh, how critical um, college associations, in particular college association budget committees, are um, to to the process of making sure that student activity fees are, are used by and for students in the manner that they deem most appropriate. So the draft before you retains the key role of college associations in general, and uh, the college association budget committees in particular, allocating funds to registered student organizations according to viewpoint neutral criteria. Um, Similarly, the previous draft called for um, the elimination of all board earmarks uh, established via referenda. Um, The current recommendations before you for changes to referenda powers, allow students to vote <coughs> on whether to increase or decrease uh, their student activity fees in general, and to continue to quote unquote earmark funding for non-speech activities, uh, for example, student government, student programs and services uh, such as child care centers, student centers, tutors and writing uh, tutors and writing centers, and. Um, because we've determined that the earmarking of funding for non-speech related programs and activities and services, uh, it's thought to present a a low legal risk in terms of the violation of First Amendment protections. We've therefore left the current bylaw provisions in place in the effort to maximize student control over student activity fees. Um, At this point, is it appropriate to talk a little bit about our communications plan? So... um, uh, at the Board's March uh, March meeting, uh, Chairman Thompson asked the Office of Student Affairs to take the lead on making sure that we communicated as broadly as possible about this effort and about uh, the proposed recommendations. And uh, with that in mind, uh, my office has undertaken a comprehensive communication strategy, the centerpiece of which is a student activity fees uh, website, which is designed as a one-stop resource for all issues and information related to student activity fees and the proposed effort uh, to reform them. Um, uh, It has all relevant documents, related court cases, um, information about different forms of commentary from students, faculty, and the like, and um, at its core, is a uh, a comment function a, a dialogue box where all stakeholders in the university community have the opportunity to share their their thoughts on the recommended changes. My office will be gathering that data and analyzing it uh, for presentation to the to the task force and to <coughs> this committee so that all voices will be represented. Uh, as we move forward on this effort to reform uh, our approach to the student activity fees.
2: Actually, if board members are curious, if you'll page down, can't quite tell what page this is now, but at the end of the explanatory document, there is a site, um, a, a link, and if you press that, it's live and you can take a look at what's on that website if you're curious. Hey, eight.
4: Thank you. And towards that end, in the effort to engage as many stakeholders as possible, uh, emails went out to USS representatives and student government presidents on Friday morning and to more than 220,000 CUNY students uh, on Saturday from their presidents and deans uh, in order to drive students uh, to this website and the early response has been heartening. As of uh, 20 minutes ago, we've already received more than 100 comments, so that's heartening, and we ask all of you to please share the website and this link uh, with your constituents. We'd like to gather as much input as as possible. Thank you. All
2: right. Um, Shall I proceed ahead, Madam Chair, or do you want to stop for any questions?
0: Let's see if we have any questions. Especially from task force members, any clarification
2: that we need to have, and we'll still have the two co-chairs comment here when wow. I'm done in a bit. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll move along. And again, just stop me. You know, lawyers tend to want to talk fast and get a lot in, but I would be happy to stop. So, um, I Chris just went over slide one, so I don't think we need to belabor this. This was. The, um, the process that we've been through thus far. And I think, as Chris shared, um, perhaps not, um, especially for new board members, uh, changes to the bylaws don't occur that often, um, so they go through a first reading, second reading process, unless the Board unanimously agrees to waive that requirement and do those amendments at the meeting that they're proposed. So we assume in this case uh, that there might not be a unanimous vote by the Board, and therefore, this is the first committee read. The May 7th Board meeting would be the first Board reading, thereby having June 25th Board meeting Uh, be the meeting at which the Board would be able to take the action that it chooses on these recommendations. Uh, So I want to give a little bit more detail into the highlights of the recommendations, and then we'll have the red line up. Um, As Chris mentioned, one of the key aspects here is that with regard to both recognition of student organizations and the allocation of funding to those organizations, The major change at the center of this review and set of recommendations is to move away from a referenda process as it relates to those specific organizations and move to a viewpoint neutral uh, methodology for allocating those funds. So what you're going to see in the red line is language in which the board's requiring viewpoint neutrality, which is now very common, Um, um, at other institutions nationally, uh, other public institutions, you're going to see language uh, that disallows referenda funding specific student organizations. So a referenda to fund the Libertarian Club, which in the past would be allowed, would not be allowed, but the substitution for that is an annual budgetary process in which all eligible organizations put forward budgets and justifications for the money that they would like for their organizational purposes, and that's decided um, on the basis of various um, viewpoint-neutral criteria, which we'll talk about. Um, You'll see, when you see the red line, if you haven't looked already, that referenda by students to, uh, I kind of call it raise or lower their taxes, is still allowed. So if students want to increase or decrease the student activity fee, of course, they may do so. And finally, and this was, as Chris highlighted, a major area of change, the referenda to fund services and programs, which on average at most of the colleges is about 85% of the student activity fee that will continue to be allowed to be done by students so that if students want to raise the student activity fee by $30 because they believe they need a shuttle bus to take them from the end of the subway line to the campus, they can continue to have a referenda and allocate, or the term is earmark, funds for that purpose. And you all may recall that the initial recommendation by the working group was that all earmarks be dissolved, in essence, and that these existing earmarks for programs and services would, you know, obviously remain, you know, the College Association knows how the funds were earmarked, but that the College Association would, every three to five years, do a review of that money and those programs, do a needs assessment, poll students, whatever it took to get the students' opinion, and be allowed to shift money around, which we believe would take care of some of the surpluses that have been building when an organization goes defunct or money can't be spent, and would allow the system to be responsive to current students versus students 20 years ago or 30 years ago who initiated a referenda. The students, however, felt very, very strongly about continuing control over their student activity fees, and we conferred with our counsel, which is the Attorney General's office, but we concluded uh, as CUNY's lawyers that that pot of money, which does make up most of the money, remember that, because it doesn't fund speech-related activities, because it's about programs and services, the viewpoint neutrality principles didn't come into play there. And so whether you think that system is great or whether you think it's you know clunky and hard to maneuver over time, the bottom line is it's our opinion that's not implicated under the First Amendment as speech activities are and therefore we left that process in place, and so the students... the students are controlling 100% of the student activity fee. You know, 85% of it or so are these programs and services. The other 15%, which are the speech activities, the clubs that really are involved in speech activities, that's just being budgeted annually by the College Association, in some cases by the SGA's on campus, but in any event, it's an annual budgetary process that's controlled in the same way that um, much of that money is today. So the students still retain authority over their student activity fees, but we have carved out the speech-related activities into a viewpoint-neutral system so that our obligations as a public university under the First Amendment can be upheld and we can talk a little bit more about that. I've provided you with a detailed explanation about the laws that are in play here in relation to the First Amendment and the obligations of CUNY to protect the speech rights of both the minority and the majority whenever we're collecting a compulsory fee, but I'm happy to go over any of that um, here in just a little bit. So that's the first and probably, you know, most significant change of the recommendations that we're making. I'll go through the um, other four, and then I'm happy to stop and give clarification before we would take a look at the actual language. So the next um, piece, which dovetails with, you know, the the viewpoint-neutral criteria is just to share that the RSO funds, which I define which we generally define at CUNY as involving student intramural teams, so not intercollegiate athletics, but student intramural teams, student organizations, student clubs, student associations, student chapters, student media and publications, all of those things are generally referred to here as registered student organizations because students have to ask to be recognized, that that will be an annual allocation process per viewpoint neutral criteria versus what exists now in many parts, which is a referenda process. Um, The next major piece is a recommendation that access to the ballot be expanded. So right now, under the board bylaws and then under each of the constitutions and regulations of the colleges, the only way a referenda can get on the student ballot is by a petition that's signed by 10% of the student body. Um, And that is a process, I think, rightfully, um, gladly, that that takes work to be able to get that on the student ballot and to do the educational process associated with that. (coughs) Once it's on the ballot, a majority of students who vote in that election and there's no minimum threshold get to determine whether or not that referenda to allocate funding to increase student fees is passed. So what the recommendation is here is to expand the access to the ballot by also allowing a two-thirds majority of the Student Governing Association at any college to also refer a ballot measure. And um, I think I've shared with you in the explanation, but I would share now that this is an item where there is still not uh, unanimous agreement um, some of the students, I think, being in favor, some not being in favor, certainly staff, some being in favor because, and you know, um, I'm not a student affairs staff member, but one of the comments that I heard at our last meeting, and it was determined to leave this in, was that those student affairs staffers work with 100% of the students on campus, not just the elected officials but they work with all the students, many of whom feel that it's would be next to impossible to start an initiative under the 10% rule. So this is a recommendation to allow, say, that singular student who has a bright idea to go and petition their student, their elected student leaders, to see if they could generate the interest by their student governing association to refer a measure to the ballot. But once again, Once that's on the ballot, it has to be voted on by the students. Uh, Discussion we had at our last task force meeting is, do students generally vote yes for anything that goes on the ballot? It was debunked that that was the case. Um, So clearly, there'd have to be an educational campaign, no matter how a question got on the ballot. But the recommendation is here to allow for potentially more student activity in relation to referenda. Uh, last two things, uh, and this is not an insubstantial, unsubstantial issue, is this was in the original recommendations as well, but the um, issue of contributions of student activity fees, which we know are public funds, being made to external organizations without going through our purchasing, procurement and contracting process. And so the one example, there could be more, but there only happens at Karen to be one. The one example is is there's an external organization called NYPERG that, depending on which of the nine colleges, was a set-aside or an allocation was voted into existence 40, 20, 30, maybe more. I don't know which was the most recent one. Um, however many years ago, that allocated a set fee per student at that participating institution to go to an outside organization to fund programs that would come back to the benefit of CUNY students. There is no contract in relation to this. There is reporting by that external organization, but the key, reporting back to CUNY, but the key issue here, as I indicated in our explanation is this relates to our fiduciary obligation to safeguard public funds and the processes by which they should be spent and allocated. So that's another major revision. Um, And then here is the last piece. CUNY's Fiscal Accountability Handbook, which many of you have probably not looked at, is a multi-page, maybe 75-page guidance document for the campuses and for students and for staff. This has not been updated since 1992, and it is not ready to be finished being updated currently. But clearly, there needs to be conforming language in this accountability handbook to deal with the changes that are being proposed here. The handbook is not a document that's adopted by the Board. It's a policy document that the Chancellor has the authority uh, to revise and change, but we f- knew that it was appropriate to share with the Board, there have to be changes, and here's what they would look like, and we would be asking the Board in June to you know allow for these types of conforming changes, both in the Fiscal Accountability Handbook as well as on the campuses. Um, you know, anytime you're dealing with changes in infrastructure, that also breaks down at the campus level, and needs an implementation period and process. So those are the highlights of um, what we consider to be the, the main changes, and um, I would be happy to stop here before we got into the details of language.
0: Okay. Want so oh, to go more? Yeah, Oh, okay. Yes. okay.
2: Yeah, did, that might make sense if, mm. if President Keyes and John might yeah. give their commentary from the Student Activity Fee Task Force. I'll go
5: first.
6: <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there's definitely a lot of interest in the, on the conversation of Student Activity Fee.
0: Um, Can you lift your voice a little bit?
6: Definitely. So I, I didn't notice your first comment on the final reading and the first reading, so uh, of the agenda item for both the committee and the board. You're mentioning that this would go straight to the board for the, for the full board meeting on May 7th? As
7: a first reading. As a as first, a first reading. reading. And it would
6: then be in, proposed to be voted upon on June 25th with the same um, language.
2: Well, it, it would depend, actually. I mean, the board, the committee, has the purview to recommend changes to this initial language, but the notice for proposed amendments is active as of this meeting and the May 7th meeting. So, you know, obviously, there's still an input process that's going on. Um, And if it appeared that committee members or board members wanted to recommend changes, that could happen before June
6: 25th. Julian noted. Um, So, as Quiz Roser, as the VC mentioned, um, the Tax Force has met a number of occasions, and there's been a lot of debate, consensus, maybe agreement on um, to what this document should look like. But I'd like to start with the how we got here in the first place, we had a lawsuit from Queens College. I'm not sure if you all remember the situation and the steps that we're taking to make sure we clear the situation. And the final step is this, a review by the board on, before May, May in the, on the board meeting, which is what we're doing now. Um, I'd like to start with Article 15, which takes takes care of the lawsuit situation at Queens College. Um, When we talk about viewpoint neutrality, which is really what this lawsuit is about, we all have viewpoints as individuals. We all have viewpoints even as a board when we decide to vote on something. And although some of these changes are been agreed upon so we can prevent another lawsuit, we're not sure if it's really protective of the First Amendment of the right to free speech. Um, Some of these other changes were in the fiscal Accountability handbook and those are the concessions a lot of students are willing to take when it comes to their own student activity fee and the right to be able to decide how funding is given into a set of bylaws and a set of rules. But then we go into article 16 and we see a lot of language that Go beyond the legal requirement and do not give students more access to their own fees. Um, they are encroaching student rights and limits free speech and can be regarded as as unconstitutional. unconstitutional. Um, this changes, although they've really changed from the last time, will still be drastically changing student life on campus. Um, I'm not entirely sure what what the language of low legal risk is. Uh, I would like for no risk to be in anything that we pass, but. It is, it is clear that in the language, in 16.1, there's a blatant disregard for what student activity and the spirit of student activity fee is. It's still... <laughs> I'm not sure if I understand if it's still a student fees, or if it's still a student fees and services fees. And in addition to all the fees that we pay on the campuses, um, from academic excellence fees to the tuition, if we're looking for other ways to supplement the income at CUNY, and if student fees that is supposedly um, decided upon by students, and if they made the decision to pay for this activities and services, why do we get a lot more than than we bargained for? Um, we talk about the referenda for programming services, but students don't have the right to have referenda for their own organizations. I'm not sure I understand the logic in that. We can only have programming and services be implemented because students want that, but we can't have them create their own organizations and the campuses? It's, it's, it's beyond me. Um, a huge part of this conversation is definitely misleading. If the students are, were in full control, I'm not sure we'll be having a conversation on the board. We'll just follow state and federal laws and that'll be the end of the conversation. Um, they, no item. In Article 16, has unanimous support. Nothing there is an is agreement. We come in this tax force meeting and we almost essentially disagree for 45 minutes to an hour, and then we leave and we say we have consensus and maybe some other things said between two thirds. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the case. I'm not, I'm not sure how that's happening. Um, so, two thirds, um, the two thirds situation, the student government. We, you know, At the University of the Student Senate we met. We have delegates from all the campuses of CUNY. Almost everyone unanimously opposed that to uh, the judge of the student governments be given the d- power to decide if a referendum should be placed on the ballot. You would think the student governments wanted power in that matter. Well, they understood that the fact that putting power in a lot less people is against the will of the people that voted them in. And that's, that's what I think the article 16 situation is doing at the moment. We're not even talking about the Nyberg situation, which is, I don't know. I think as General Counsel just mentioned, is a fiduciary obligation to protect the students from themselves. Yes, are essentially calling us toddlers that need to be protected from ourselves. Like for 40 years in some cases, on this campus at CUNY, it was fiduciary responsible, and of a sudden this year it's not. We have to protect the students from themselves because they don't know what they want for themselves. They're not grown-ups. It's really insulting. But that, that, that's my take on, on the situation. Um, but thank you very much for listening.
7: Well, so, so as you know, um, John and I co-chaired this task force um, And at the same time that the task force was doing its work, uh, there was a working group, and there was great communication between the two, okay? So the task force threw out many ideas, uh, asked for information, asked the staff to provide research on a broad range of issues after we had been first briefed in our first meeting. And, of course, you know uh, we have a few members of the task force, John certainly, Fernando, uh, Professor um, Fernandez was on the... It was really a robust group of administrators who are really on the front lines, if you will, a couple of presidents who are a little bit at a distance, not quite on the front lines, many students, Uh, and the faculty who are also very close to this matter on their campuses. Um, My opinion is that we worked openly, honestly, tenaciously, got a lot of expert witness um, from students, uh, from staff on a number of issues. Staff was very responsive also in bringing us some best practices from across the nation. And um, before we got to the point of actually putting pen to paper, if you will, with some new ideas, I thought that we had deeply discussed a number of issues and probably even come to some consensus about them, some of which are presented here. I'll just mention uh, that student activity fees would continue to provide support, for activities now funded by clubs, services, and programs. We agreed on the viewpoint neutral process needing to be put in place. We agreed, I believe we agreed uh, in the sessions that um, the funding of external organizations directly was uh, to be discontinued, and that the role of the College Association would would, would take a more important role, if you will, uh, as well as uh, will continue to take an important role, and those campuses that do not have a college association would form something akin to a college association to continue to do that. Further was a disagreement, if you will, uh, lack of closure, maybe we can call it. Uh, ultimately, I see some compromise that has emerged We're on the issue of to referendum or not to referendum, I'll just put it that way. Uh, I see compromise obviously has been reached here, and so we still have the idea of referendum on the table. And um, at a time when the referendum might not have been on the table, the notion of having an alternate route, namely SGA, student government, with a two-thirds majority seemed a, a useful kind of approach. And so that's why you see two ways to get a referendum onto the ballot uh, on the table today. Um, And then of course um, the matter of earmarks, um, which we now, since the last meeting, uh, there's been some compromise language. Um, What what you don't see here today, I don't think, is uh, something that consumed quite a bit of our discussion, um, and that was the matter of reserves or surpluses. Um, there was discussion about a review process three to five years as well, and that, those two items have been set aside for the moment. Uh, I think they're worthy topics of discussion, by the way. Uh, but there was uh, a notion that those matters did not need bylaw change, but could emerge from some procedural uh, review and documents issued through the chancery. So I want to say that uh, as I listened to the administrators who were very close to this on the campuses, they thought that some more guidance in those areas will be, would be useful in order to have a better and a more routine way of assessing whether a particular service or club or activity uh, should continue, especially in light of building surpluses. So th- that is where I see that there is some uh, guidance that will be needed in the future, and I do believe, and we have others at the table who were there, that, you know, there was, there was opportunity to definitely delve in, opportunity to hear. Students were very much at the table. Uh, information was shared, uh, ultimately, in the way that we prefer it, with the redlining. It wasn't that way in the beginning, but we were, you know, we got, we got that. And, of course, uh, students and others have had an opportunity to engage on campus and will continue to do so over the course of the next couple of weeks. So uh, that's, you know, I just want to also just express um, thanks to the students involved, to John, uh, to the colleagues at the table, the presidents and uh, faculty, who have been at the table, certainly the leadership from the vice chancellor. Never an easy thing to try to make this kind of change, certainly, Um, but I think if we can make some change that is required here, and as the trustees take a look at it, uh, we have some opportunity, clearly, to talk more about it and to see whether we can get to where we need to get to on this matter, so. Are there any
0: other um, questions? Okay, yes,
8: Yes, um, so I just wanted to touch base very generally on, on the changes. I, I, too, served on the task force, um, and I want to thank everyone on, on the task force for their participation. I'd like to extend my gratitude to Vice Chancellor Martinez and Rosa for including what I think were many of the amendments in, uh, that um, some of the students who had spoken out at the recent hearing um, suggested. Um, you know but there's, 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 there's a few more that we would like to see in this document. Um, the, I think what I think is the biggest change that is in this document has to do with Article 15. Um, the changes in Article 15 and the changes to the Fiscal Quality Handbook deal with the question of viewpoint neutrality sufficiently, if those changes were in place um, um, two years ago, we would not have the Queens College case. Um, because though the student organization at the time would not be able to, um, there would be no questions about whether the student organization um, was able to register. And so, I find that the article of 15 changes in the article on the, um, the changes to the to the physical comedy handbook would suffice in our, uh, our our the major changes here. And on those changes, what you would find is that there's a great deal of consensus. I, I want to begin by. Um, by, by touching on those two, because I think we all agree um, that there should be a neutral criteria for students to charter organizations and to receive funding. On the question of Article 16, which is what has really taken up most of our time, um, I too, like um, like President Keys, would have liked to delve into some of the other issues um, that um, that we have with student activity fees, which include surpluses and some other issues. But I would like to delve into those issues more deeply, but this Article 16 question has taken up so much of our time because there's so much disagreement into what it means for us. Um, as John had noted, um, student activity fees are, are changing in a way. Um, uh, at CUNY in recent years, I would say over the past decade, what you have seen is the ratio of student activity fees that go from for student organizations and clubs versus programs and services, that ratio has been um, lopsided. Most of the new student activity fees that have been initiated have gone to programs and services, things like um, 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 healthcare, care, um, athletics. Um, we've recently had student activity fees adopted for, um, for transportation services, for a building at, um, at Baruch, for a nurse at John Jay, this trend, um, the way if it continues to go in this direction, what we're going to have is a good portion of the university's um, uh, responsibilities, I think, funded by student activity fees. And I don't think when the notion of student activity fee was first introduced to the board, um, that this is what we had in mind, that these funds will be going to contribute to these programs and services. But for better or worse, this is where we're at and and the way student activity fees are initiated, I want to make sure that we all understand that it's not the students who are, uh, in, who, are who, who, who adopt these changes to the student activity fees. That responsibility falls on the board. The students are merely suggesting that the increase be implemented through a referendum. The college president has a role in this, neither recommending or uh, uh, <coughs> For or against the referenda, and then the board ultimately has the authority to approve all of these fees. Um, and so, it is a collaborative process. And I'm, and I'm not saying that um, that the students or the board specifically is responsible for the changes that we have been seeing in student activity fees. But it's important to recognize that these changes are happening, and they are, they are concerning. Um, you know, we have. Um, and the and the and the one of the major changes that we have has to do with the funding of outside organizations. Very specifically, I don't think we can escape the fact that we're talking about outside organizations. We're specifically talking about NIPERC. Um and um, and the, the, I think the biggest concern is that Nyberg has been around and has been a part of CUNY for decades, and is very much enshrined <laughs> in the in the governing documents of CUNY. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Fiscal Accommodality Handbook, there are dozens of pages dedicated specifically to the financial management of NYPRC fees, and so any um, issues that have to do with the accountability of NYPRC funds could and should be addressed um, in the Fiscal Accommodality Handbook. Uh, That is a document that could easily be amended by the Chancellor um, or his or her designee. you know, and so we feel that um, the extension of, um, of these amendments to Article 16 specifically are uncalled for. Um, there is no um, legal... There is no legal requirement um, by which we would have to do so. Um, the settlement that we signed with Queen's College specifically says that we have to review the document. Um, and we've done that. We've done a thorough review. Um, and if you, if, you, if you go through, um, through the, 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 the current cases of law, I find that specifically actually on NYPERG, on the, on the case of NYPIRG, uh NYPIRG was sued, the university was sued in, in 2008 and 2010, and we won those cases, specifically on NYPERG, specifically on the questions of viewpoint neutrality, specifically on the questions of referendum, on all of these questions, um, the courts upheld um, you know, um, our rights to have these referendums, our rights to fund NYPIRC, our rights for this organization to exist, and it's um, very perplexing that we're, we're taking these measures now.
3: Excuse um, um, me.
0: Um, are there any comments from other members? Any questions for Chair? Yes.
1: Uh, I've been asked by the Executive Committee of the University Faculty Senate to make a motion to separate the legal questions uh, from the best practices changes, which would literally mean uh, Article 15 be something that be brought up to the Board and voted on as one item, and the other changes which we're talking about in Article 16 be given uh, a little more time to be worked through or voted on uh, separately. Uh, and one of the things that we've asked to help us in our process of, uh, of making decisions on how we feel about this uh, meeting the faculty is that we have asked the University Student Senate to give us a change-by-change uh, change breakdown uh, as far as what the existing language is, what the new language will be, what their objections are, uh, if there are any objections, and what they are offering as alternatives uh, so that as we move forward, the next time it comes before this body, uh, we can make a a decision on how to vote. But uh, that's what I've been asked, so I'm going to make that motion that we separate uh, the legal question of Article 15 from the Article 16 changes and be uh, reviewed separately.
2: since that's a legal question, yes. more or less, would you please give yes. your response? And uh, I clearly did not want to interrupt um, the, the individuals who've been involved and who've shared their thoughts, but... And, and this isn't really the forum to have a legal debate. This is a committee meeting with recommended changes to the bylaws. But the couple things I will say about what were just said by both um, Fernando and Professor Fernandez are that it is not the case in the opinion of CUNY's counsel, which includes myself and other members of my office, that there's no legal requirement that the Board look at Article 16. It is clearly the case in the settlement agreement on the Queen's case that we agreed that the Board consider amendments specifically to Section 16.2, which I was flashing up earlier, um, as Fernando was talking, to t- try and keep track of the areas he was talking about, it's clearly the case that, the, that CUNY agreed to look at that particular bylaw for compliance with First Amendment um, case law that binds us. Uh, the second piece in regard to um, Professor Fernandez is that also it is my opinion that legal compliance issues do not just concern Article 15 whether you look at just the Queens College case or in general the fabric of case law that governs CUNY and the rest of the nation, not just CUNY, Article 15 and 16, the changes recommended go together to create a compliant viewpoint neutral system of allocating the funds that relate to speech activities. So, you know, as a threshold, We've heard the calls from the students from the beginning to separate best practice or policy changes from legal compliance, and in effect, what we're presenting to you has done that. We have not recommended some of the other changes to make a more coherent and cohesive system, like, for example, dissolving all earmarks. We really have recommended what we believe are the most fundamental university-wide changes that need to be made to um, protect the institution from future legal challenges about the lack of viewpoint neutrality in our processes, and frankly, to help foster um, the free speech activities that do go on at CUNY. Um, No one other than student committees and then college associations are making these decisions about these funds. Um, The other piece, just one more thing I wanted to say, which was a comment of Fernando's that maybe was intended to suggest that because the Board ultimately passes on the student referenda, that that somehow cleans up the issue of a lack of viewpoint neutrality and having a majority vote on whether you want to fund a speech activity. And I would indicate that that is clearly not my opinion. In fact, all it points to is that the obligation is with the Board you are the governing authority of this institution, and the First Amendment protections that the institution needs to safeguard are the Board's obligation to protect those, and, you know, in essence, it's to protect both minority and majority <coughs> views anytime we're collecting a compulsory student activity fee. Um, I understand that the students, my last comment, There's been a lot of comment about how taking away a vote on these speech activities is anti-democratic. I think a lot of the students believe that by being able to vote, that's democracy. But the issue about the First Amendment, and and that's the way we resolve a lot of issues, you know, in, in the world that we live in, but the issue with the First Amendment isn't just going with the will of the majority on what is going to get funded. It's protecting the rights of the minority as well. And the thing that I think is complicating in this situation is, as the Board has noted before, get 3% participation at a college. Four, five, maybe six is the greatest I've heard. Uh, I think Hunter had maybe about a 10% or so when they completely (coughs) redid their fee structure. That's actually a tyranny of the minority because the vast majority of students are not speaking when it comes to these referenda. But if you look at a viewpoint-neutral process where there's a budgeting process that's overseen both by student government and the college association, I think that, and it's the case around the country, is a more protective (coughs) methodology than letting majority vote decide whether the Libertarians get funded, whether Queen Students uh, for Life get funded, et cetera. So it's not an uncomplicated, Legal landscape, and it's not uncomplicated how the rubber hits the road at CUNY, at all its different colleges. But we have done our best and have listened very hard, and really have narrowed the recommended changes to what we believe are essential for legal compliance.
0: Okay, we have we have a motion on the table from um, Professor Fernandez. Will you repeat what it is, and so we are clear.
1: Uh, as, it's, as it says in my uh, the minutes of my last executive committee meeting, the motion is to cleave the uh, the legal uh, issues from the best practices issues, and uh, in this case, Article 15 from the Article 16 changes. Is there a second? I'd
0: like to second
4: that
0: motion. Um,
4: in the interest of time, I think you have to call the question.
0: Yeah, um, let's call the question on it. Those in favor?
4: Aye.
0: Those against?
8: Aye.
0: Okay. Um, I guess the motion fails. Mm-hmm. The motion fails. No. One. Two. Let's let's go over one. Well,
6: okay. well the Jonathan, I, up. I I don't
0: vote. I know you don't, but um, yeah.
2: Marthia is on the committee. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes, yeah. on, okay. on this committee. One, two. What yeses or, no? or no. noes? The noes. Noes. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. The yeses. All right. Um, the the noes got it. So. Um, mm? uh, professor
8: right.
5: Professor Fernandez, just to be clear, the only reason why I'm voting no is because I don't see such a clear distinction yet that legal pr- best practices and the legal issues are uh, uh, are represented by the difference between section 15 and 16. It, it very well could be the case going forward, but as of this time now, I'm not convinced that if you separate out 15, 16, that we're auto- automatically separating out legal to best practices. So I just wanted you to know that. Uh,
0: Okay, then may I... Thanks very much. May I then have a motion to adjourn?
2: I want to you don't
5: have to see the discussion. May I have a motion to oh, so adjourn? Are, are we done? Can I ask you? Yeah. Yes,
2: yes, yes. Madam Chair, yeah. and, and this was something, and Ann is here, uh, perhaps she could provide some clarification. My understanding is the first reading um, did not require any action by the board at this time to forward it uh, by the committee to forward it to the full board. I wasn't.
0: I wasn't in that. No, I don't
2: think so. And well, I'd also chatted with with Gail, and my understanding is her belief is this is the notice that the committee does not need to forward. I'm sorry. No, no, they don't vote on this today. Is that the, is that the at the thing? next committee meeting. Mm-hmm to refer to the full board. Okay, I just wanted to clarify before we broke that uh, there wasn't a pending action that needed I, to be done. Can
5: I ask a question before we adjourn? yeah Okay, so th- this is on that issue of two-thirds majority by the student government. Right. Um, so what I'm hearing is <clears throat> that the students, at least from all the student government groups that have gathered, they are very much against this. And then what I heard was that the uh, student affairs office um, staff, I guess, and people involved with student affairs on an administrative level um, believe that this is a good idea because of the low participation and the high hurdle for referendum 10% uh, hurdle. So but what, I, what I'm a little bit confused is, if in this case the students say, we just want to keep it at the 10% and it doesn't implicate the viewpoint neutral issue, is it possible to just keep it that way for that particular item? Or, or I would like to understand the rationale beyond what was explained to me of why we feel or the task force feels, members of the task force feel that that is a very, uh, that needs to be in the, in the new, revised version.
8: Can I answer that question? Yeah. Um, So, just to be clear, there are student leaders who are in favor of the two-thirds majority, and what John is suggesting that most student leaders are against it. Um, Me, personally, at the graduate students at Brooklyn College, our our organization is not for it, specifically because the graduate student organization is composed of four executive members and what you would be given is the authority to four individuals to put a measure on the ballot. And so we would not like that kind of discretion to be given to such a small body of people. In addition, the process of running a referendum requires you to speak to 10% of the population, and we feel that that's an informative process. It's a valuable process, and it would encourage folks to come out and vote one way or the other. And so that's the rationale for us wanting to to keep it on the on, on, on the 10%. On the other side, you also have the issue that 10% is also very difficult to get. Some folks don't have the time to do it, part-time students, working um, parents, and so there was the suggestion that there be an easier mechanism um, in place to get something on the ballot outside of the 10%. And um, this was one of the suggestions that came out of the committee, and this is...
5: So, so my question to you then is, I mean, this is how democracy works, right? There's going to be a group like the graduate students at Brooklyn that say, hey, we only have four. It doesn't work for us. We're against it. You don't want to give so much power to a small group. And then who are the student groups or what? There, I guess there are schools where their student government ha- has supported this? Yes. And that's the majority? So then, or is it that the USS, uh, the Senate did they come out with a position on this?
8: So, so we, we have we haven't come out with an f- official position, where we've taken a roll but we just done a general polling of the room. Specifically at Brooklyn College, the undergrads are perfectly fine with this because they have a larger body. They have about thirty something members in their student government, and they feel they, they feel comfortable having that debate on the floor. Um, and so, you, right in that in one school, you had folks go. But what we found by speaking. Um, to most delegates, what we've heard for the most part, is that they're not in them.
5: See, so that makes it very hard for a committee like ours because we are desperately wanting to hear the voice of the students, right? And I understand there's diversity of opinion within students and it's a huge 270,000 student body we're dealing with. So at some point, though, we need to get a consensus from student leaders, whether it's an official vote by USS, to informing this committee on what your position on this two-thirds issue is, since you brought it up, as an as an opposition stance by the students. Because as a committee member, if you tell me that officially the student body is against this, I think this issue is something that most of us have no problem removing from the language, if that's the will of the students. But if you just come back and tell me, well, some students are for, some students are against it, then it's almost like we have to debate the merits on our own without real, final input or official input from the students. Does, does that make sense? So all I'm asking is, is that possible before our next meeting to get something like that?
8: That, 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 that does make sense, and, and, but understand that this language is very new to our students, and so they're, they're, they're digesting this at the moment. We instructed our members yesterday to go back to their student government and specifically um, get feedback on this question. So the answer is yes. We will have a formal vote from each. Right, because um, what
5: I'm trying to get, and I apologize yeah. for but what I'm trying to get at is I would like to strip down and get to a consensus on as many issues that we can so that it's not really us versus them and we're mm-hmm. not being democratic. We all want to really listen to the students and their opinions. If there's a legal, factual, legal question where we're limited in what we can do, then it sounds like there's a, it's a factual legal question, and, and there's a, there can be disagreements about it. But we need to have those facts just laid out in front of us as well, based on all the case law, based on whatever uh, other evidence that you want to present, and then allow us to make a decision as a committee, right? So, if we can get this issue, for example, out of the way, mm-hmm. then we can still we can get in and hone in on focusing on the final decision for 16 point, Section 16, basically, right? So that's all I'm asking.
8: Understood, thank you.
2: And Trustee?
7: I I wanted just to clarify. I do believe that as it now stands, there would be two ways to get an item forward. Uh, Well, currently, there's one way. That's the referendum of students. What we've put in now is that there would be the, potential, the referendum, 10%, and or, or, or the SGA, 60%. So what we've given are two avenues, a little flexibility to those institutions who, for whom it might be a heavy lift to do the 10%, if right. you will. Here's another way. And part of the reason there is that experience has shown that there are times when there is work to be done with referenda, but it takes so long. Hence, it's every 20 years, I'm quoting now for York, before we could get something on it. And the ideas germinated for seven years or so before we could work that through now had we had an alternate of, let us say, 65%, whatever it is, is, two-thirds majority of SGA, they could do it, get it on the ballot. They still must do the education to get the vote. So it is uh, an alternate route. It's not an either-or. And so what we've done is just to open up a little bit, and so there could be some uh, flexibility.
2: Madam Chair, Uh, I I was just going to make one more comment By the time we have our next committee meeting, um, we will have mined that student input mechanism, or it's not just students, anyone can comment, and we will give you a readout, kind of the key themes, Um, you know, we'll analyze that data for you so you can get an even better sense of opinion.
5: And I, I just feel like for us to come to a comfortable decision at the end of the day. It's still, what I'm hearing, you know, John, John Fernando and I actually had sat down for a couple of hours after the last meeting, and I, I was educated on a lot of what their perspective was. And it sounds like we're still at that point where there's a question of legal fact that, this, uh, you know, the two of them aren't convinced. So when you put in our proposal, it'll say it is settled law, and you know, as a lawyer, I understand that. And I could go to the cases myself and read it. I don't know, I think you both have also read the cases yourself. I just feel like for the committee, you kind of need to get into each of the cases almost and lay out the arguments because otherwise, it sounds like, you know, we're just believing you because you're our general counsel at the end of the day. and voting. But see, so I, I think that you know it's a little bit of an issue just because uh, I don't know how clearly we can lay it out more than we need to, but we, we it sounds like that's what the challenge is because I think we're all in agreement that if it's illegal, we need to change it, right? Whether it's good for the CUNY at the end of the day, good for the students, we don't know. It's just good, you, you just have to do it because it's illegal. But that legal factual question is just, it's not in their minds clear, I guess. That's, to, that's what comes across to me, and I don't know what it takes and uh, to help them maybe understand your point of view a little bit better and what it takes you guys to do to help her see your citation of case law and what you're doing. I know it's a little unfair lawyer versus non-lawyer, but you, you guys are making comments saying that, that, you know, certain cases have already been decided this way and that, and that we're kind of overstepping that bound.
7: I'm hmm. sorry, Chair,
8: step on the Yeah, uh, A
1: couple things i just say. I would. One thing I would recommend for the, uh, for the trustees at the table is uh, at some point to s- attend a USS meeting uh, because I got to tell you. Uh, I attended the last one, and Fernando actually walked us through the language, and I I was very impressed by our students, uh, some of the remarks they made. And so that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is the fact that they come from the experience of the local governance before they end up at the university-wide governance. And so when they have concerns about a two-thirds majority of a small group of students making decisions, I have to take notice to the, uh, of that because they have that experience. And I will just also just say is one analogy to this is that fiscal uh, you know, fiscal legislation comes out of the House. Why? Because they are a, a very large group uh, elected right every, every two years, as opposed to the Senate, which is a much smaller group of folks uh, and have longer terms. So, and there's a lesson in that. And though I do not necessarily believe that this can't be resolved between the ten percent versus nothing else, uh, and in fact, some suggestions were made at the last USS meeting that the the executive committee was, uh, you know, recognized need to be considered, particularly extending voting periods and and uh, some other things, but. Uh, what I'm saying is that when they tell me that they have concerns, I feel I feel that they're in a good position to uh, to suggest it.
8: Anybody else? I have one, one final comment. Um, there there is, as um, Trustee Kim has suggested, some discord as far as the legal consequences here. Um, one of the things that that we uh, that we've come to the conclusion of is that not all of the cases that are relevant to the issue are being considered. Uh, indeed, if you go, um, the most recent cases are not being considered. The cases that are that were that have to deal with CUNY specifically are not being considered, and so um, the cases yeah. that have to do with Nightberg specifically are not being considered. And so, if you if, if we're not looking at these cases. Um, then I don't think we're going to be able to draw some consensus because we're looking at two different sets of facts.
5: Well, but that's my point, is that you can say cases, but you need to put on a piece of paper exactly what... And I, I think I said this a couple months ago when we met. You need to put on paper exactly what cases you're talking about. And, you know, the general counsel has cited her cases, and you need to go back and forth. That's what happens when people are arguing that the law is on their side, and then you have to have decision makers, in this case, it'll be this committee, decide. But without that, if you just keep citing the generic cases that haven't been considered or it goes against, you know, supports your argument, without exactly the case and why that supports it, it makes it very hard for a committee like this to make an informative decision. Either way.
8: Fair enough, I understand.
6: And also, I just wanted to point out that the proposed language in the last meeting is different from the proposed language of this meeting, and some things have changed, which made it difficult to get uh, a different, like, answers
5: and get some input from the students now. But now that we have okay. a first reading, I think we can go mm-hmm. forward, yes, right? Absolutely. Okay, good.
0: Um, I have to call for an adjournment on sure. um, the next group. Is- uh, let I her speak.
3: speak! So moved. It's
0: not going any You don't, don't let it. us
7: speak. you been standing for
0: 10 minutes. Let her, let her, speak. Speak? Let her let
8: speak.
4: speak! Let her speak! Oh. The meeting is a